welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Okay, so he comes out of um, he comes out of Romans four, and you got to remember as well, books were not chaptered and versed uh, initially. You know, it's not like Paul was writing his letter to the guys and going, "All right, chapter five. You know, he he has themes, but oftentimes we break um, the the. The passages as we see fit um, and it isn't always a, a helpful break because actually he's still talking about the same thing or other times he's introducing a completely new topic and it's halfway through a chapter or, you know and so when I say we're coming into chapter five it's just still we're still one big flow it's one message that he's, he's speaking and it's one letter that he's given um, and so he comes out and he talks about look that therefore since we've been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ um, through him we've accessed uh, Uh, By faith into grace, which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Jesus died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good one, one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So, kind of just a little like rant about how great it is to be saved by faith um i'm kind of going to gloss over that because i think there's there's great stuff in there but it's it's um you can read it on your own you can try and dive into that a bit more but it's kind of basically kind of summing up what just uh got explained in romans 4 there about faith and um look it's it's this it's this amazing thing that you don't have to be saved by what you do you don't have to be part of abraham's tribe you are Abraham's child if you have his same faith and that faith is a gift it's God speaking to you and you going okay so Abraham God spoke to him he says hey come with me and Abraham went okay that was enough like you know it was just it was responding to God and saying I'm going to trust you I'm going to believe in you I'm going to follow you that's all that is is required and you are grafted in you are a son of Abraham you are part of this Israel Okay, and so very offensive to Israel, very contrary to Israel. But Paul's plowing ahead; he's not done offending, so he's going to try and offend in some other areas as well. Um, and so we're going to pick it up in uh, verse twelve, and this is kind of complex. So I'm going to read it, um, and then I'm going to kind of revisit and kind of explain a bit uh, uh, after the fact, in one sense. And so um, I'm just going to read through with me and, and and try and follow as much as you can. But there's some bits in here which are kind of weirdly worded, or it feels like roundabout, and we'll, we'll go back to them and see what he's saying. Um, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning, uh, not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Okay, so we'll stop there. And I just want to introduce that because that was a what, what? Right? I mean, it kind of is a bit confusing, that, that whole thing. What's he saying? He says, look, and this is a whole new topic he starts talking about. He starts talking about sin. Now, what is sin to a Jew? It's doing what's wrong, right? 
It's not doing the law. If, you, if you've been given the rules, do this, do that, don't do this. If you break those rules, you've sinned and you need to fix it. You need to get right with God. And this is how the Jews knew if they were righteous or they were sinful, is did you do the stuff or did you not do the stuff? And if you forgot to do stuff or broke the rules or couldn't do the rules, then if you, um, if you did the right sacrifices, that covered it up and you were no longer sinful. But sin was very much rooted in what you do. And so Paul is starting to already get in and offend on a whole new topic because he's going to start talking about sin. And it's Paul isn't interested in sin as something you do. He's interested in it as a completely different thing. And so he says, look, sin comes into the world through one person, Adam. Okay? Um, it says, and then through that, it spreads into every human being. So it's a, a, it's a condition that affected everyone. But what's interesting is when he talks about sin, the word he uses for sin, it's not, um, it's not to describe something you do. Actually, he uses the word sin 40 times in, 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 in Romans. And only twice is it something you do. The rest of the time, it talks about condition. It's, it's something that, that takes over you. It talks about a personification. Sin is a person. Sin is a thing that takes you over and, 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 or a thing that, that is, 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 is um, yeah, is, 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 is condition. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so he's introducing this thing, this sin. He's not talking about something you do. He says, sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and then it spreads to everyone. Everyone got affected by this condition, sin. Um, and then he says, well, like, you know, sin was in the world before the law, okay? So because Adam, we know it was in the law, it, it was in the world before, um, before the law. But the law came through Moses, right? And he says, but sin, uh, wait, hold on, let me, let me give you the exact thing, okay? But sin is not counted where there is no law, okay? So if there's no law, you don't know if you've sinned, if you've done, done the wrong thing, okay? But, if sin spreads to, uh, causes death to come. So hold on, let me just revisit this and I'll, I'll break it down as we go. So sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death comes from sin. Okay, so we, we, we follow that, right? So sin comes in from one man and then death comes from sin. So death spreads to all men because all were in sin. So we all end up in this condition of sin and therefore we all end up dying. And then he says, but sin, the thing you do, is irrelevant unless you know what you should do or shouldn't. So, he says, how come everyone died between Adam and Moses when there was no rules for what you should and shouldn't do? If sin is what causes you to die, but we don't have sin if we don't have what you should do, what is sin? He's challenging what is sin. Sin isn't what you do. It's not not doing the law. It's something deeper, it's something ingrained, it's something that takes hold of us, it's a condition, it's not a thing that you do. So he's messing with the Jews because the Jews know sin is something you do. And what's he doing? He's kind of saying, you've got a problem here because while doing the right thing can stop you being sinful or stop you doing sins, you know, abdeering the law makes you not do a sin, it can't get rid of the thing that's actually in here stuff that's really the issue. And so he's, he's highlighting something deeper. And he says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, 
much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus, abounded for many. And it's important here, when we read many, what does many mean? How many people fell into sin? Everyone. Right? It wasn't, you know, like 28 people over there. And so when we read many fell into sin and then we read many were redeemed, that many were redeemed isn't the different type of many than the many that sinned. Mm -hmm. So when many means all, what does many mean that says have been redeemed? All. all. Okay, we can't just pick and choose what, how many people are in each group, okay, which is quite often we do. Okay. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift followed many trespasses, uh, following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for every man, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Again, the many and many, what do they mean? All. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is a huge topic and we're probably going to have to spread this into tomorrow. But Paul here is outlining something very key. And he's outlining a way of life that is not about what you do. So he's saying, look, we've lived life saying... If I do the right thing, I'm righteous. If I do the wrong thing, I'm a sinner. And he's like, this is the way that Jews operate. And this is the way they've always operated. And he's like, but that's not how it works. Because actually, the thing that is the issue is not the doing. Doing the right thing isn't what pleases God. That was faith. He's talked about that. But he's saying, but doing the wrong thing isn't what displeases God either. There's something deep down that's actually an underlying thing and it's, again, it's to do with your belief. It's to do with who you are. And actually, sin isn't what you do. It's what you believe. So even if you think about it, just, just think about it for a second. If you look at the garden, what was the sin? It wasn't eating the fruit. If you actually look and take it just one step back and stop and think about it, what was the sin? It was believing Satan. God says, if you eat this fruit, you're going to die. What does Satan say? Well, if you eat the fruit, Surely you won't die. It's when we believe that voice that we sin. And in believing that voice, we then eat the fruit. There's, a, there's an action that comes out of your belief. But it's the belief that is the issue, not the action. And because the belief is the issue, even if you didn't eat the fruit, the fact that you've now stopped believing God and you've stepped into this two-minded way of life, that's the issue. That's, that's the problem that God has, is he doesn't want us to live in this double-mindedness, this split way. James talks about double-mindedness means that we're tossed back and forward. We can't live in peace. We can't live in rest. We live constantly stressed and anxious and, and torn up and, and torn about. And, and so, you know, again, in the, in the garden, you know, uh, uh, you are made in my image and likeness. If you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. 
I mean, we already were like gods, but we chose to believe Satan. Wow, if I do that, then I'll be like God. And, and, and so we engage with this voice that is contrary to what God's saying. We engage with the unbelief. We engage with the faith that comes from something else, not God's voice. And so Paul's pointing out that there's something deeper that runs undercurrent that causes sin and causes righteous behavior, and it's your belief. And he's saying belief is what's important here. Belief is how we do life. So it's actually about believing God's voice, believing in what he's given you, holding on to his gift, and that brings about righteousness. That is what we get, and that is how we become the righteousness of God, is, is we just we accept it. We accept his gift of righteousness. If you don't accept his righteousness, if you don't know that you've been given righteousness, you will operate in a way that is... Um, contrary to God. Now, you might still have good and bad actions. You know, we talk about this a lot. We talk about, um, you know, Christians have always been pretty good at one side of this argument. So we've been good at, and um, we talk about, you know, you can only be saved through Jesus. And so we say, well, it doesn't matter how good your neighbor is. You know, if your neighbor, uh, you know, gives to charity and is a nice person and a great husband and a great dad and he works hard at his business and he's just a good person. He helps old ladies cross the road. He'll still burn in hell forever because he didn't say the right prayer, right? I mean, we've kind of prayed that for, for, we've talked about that for a long time. It's like, you know, it's not about what you do. It's about what you believe. We talk about that. But what's interesting is we don't take it to the opposite conclusion. So if you are a Christian, uh, we, we don't say, well, it's not about what you do. It's about what you believe. We kind of do make it about what you do, you know? So we kind of do make it about that. So we then go, uh, well, you know, you can say you believe in Jesus, but if you don't do the right thing, and you're not doing that, and you're not doing that, and you're not doing that, well, no, no, no. And, and this is how you get so many Christians that call themselves sinners, right? Because they do something sinful, and, well, I'm a sinner. But they miss the point. That's not who they are. Their root identity isn't in sin. Their root identity is in righteousness. In fact, in verse, I think it's 17 or so, um, it talks about the gift of righteousness and, and this free gift of righteousness allows you to reign in life. And, and actually there's this element of you've been given this righteousness, but it's to the degree that you engage with that. It's the, you've been given this million pounds, but only if you believe in it will you start making withdrawals on the bank account. You know, you, you need to believe it. And, and so as we engage with the belief, I am righteous, we start to produce the fruit, I am righteous. We start to produce righteous living, righteous fruit. Um, and so this is a really kind of hard chapter. It's a really complex chapter, the way he's worded backwards and forwards. But, but there's this concept uh, that I want you to get at least, um, that all fell into the sin state. There's, they were captivated by this way of believing that, that just isn't, isn't walking with God. It isn't hearing his voice. It isn't accepting what he says and walking in that. It's living in this double-minded life. And so even those people might even occasionally hear God, might even accept, uh, 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 might even agree with God at times, but that, that's not the voice they're listening for. They're listening for another voice. They're wanting to do it their own way. They're wanting to live in their own strength. They're wanting to go their own way. And in that place, you can't be righteous. You can't produce righteousness because you've got this flawed system in place, this place of unbelief. That is your root. That is your thing. And so people historically have talked about a sinful nature is how they would explain it. Um, and, and I don't overly like the concept of a sinful nature. I think it's um, a bit warped and a, a bit messed up. But, but um, I think because, you know, you don't have to look at Go find me someone uh, that isn't a Christian and tell me they have a sinful nature. Most of them live really good lives. They love their kids. They're great people. So I think the idea of them being inherently evil is, is kind of messed up. You know, I mean, of course not. 
Um, and yet they do have, because they have a root system that is, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to do it in my own strength, I'm going to live from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what I think is right and what I think is wrong, there's in- inherently they're going to screw up, inherently they're going to mess up in different ways. They can't always produce this perfect righteous fruit because they're not feeding from that right source, that source that says, I'm going to hear God's voice and I'm going to walk in it. Um, and so it's really important that we see this. And, but it's interesting because Paul then kind of answers uh, some questions. So he, throughout the book of Romans, he, he kind of answers questions before they get asked. And he's a Jew. You know, he knows what the Jews are thinking. And so when he says, look, it doesn't, no matter how much sin is getting thrown at people, there's grace that abounds beyond it. And it's, it's bigger than that. And, and so where Adam screwed up, Jesus did a better job fixing it. You know, where sin is there, well, grace is even bigger. And, and people, um, and so he says, it doesn't matter how much sin gets thrown into the mix. There's something bigger and better and more glorious that will, will be there to, to redeem it, to, to overcome it. Um, and he says, well, hold on. And he's like, I bet you the Jews are going to say this. So he asks a question. He says, well, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace gets bigger? Um, He's like, and he answers it. And I love the J.B. Phillips translation. It's my favorite translation because he says, don't be so stupid. How can a dead person sin? And I always think that's kind of funny, right? In this translation, he says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, this is quite interesting because Paul hasn't talked about death yet, really. And so out of nowhere, he just goes, no, don't be stupid. You died. You can't be sinner. And, And you go, wait, when did we die? Right? It kind of comes out of nowhere. And these Jews would be like, wait, what's he talking about? We died? What does he mean? And actually, Paul goes on and on and on in this next chapter, chapter 6. He talks about how dead we are as Christians. And he mentions it 18 times in one chapter that you are dead. And so I'm going to read through and just see if you can pick up this theme as, as we read through. I'll try and accent it. Before we carry on, could you just add something quick? Yeah, you yeah. Know you were talking about um, the sin not being what you don't or do do. It's about... Yep. Let's touch on it in the end if we've got time anyway, that's fine, no worries. Um, he says, look, what shall we sin in? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means, how can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that Jesus, as Jesus was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we might too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united in, with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. For the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Okay, we'll pause there. And I just want you to, you see that? I mean, you're dead, you're dead. Death, 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 burial, baptism, crucifixion. There's all these constant ideas of you're dead. It's I mean, very dead language. And, and the context here is he's saying, look, if you once lived in this way where you were, where you were at contrary with God, you were at odds with God, you were living for yourself. And, and because of that, you would produce this sinful action in your life. You would produce all this uh, stuff, but you were, you were at odds with God. God wanted to you to live in one way and, and wanted to be in union with you. And you just couldn't, you didn't want union. You didn't want to be with God. You were constantly in that place. Well, in Jesus, that person is dead. They've been killed. They've been done away with. They've been crucified. They've been buried. They've been baptized into death. You know, I mean, it's, it's dead, 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 dead. And he says, and until you realize, it's quite interesting. He says, but until you realize you're dead, you can't live. You can't try and do both. And so he says, like, if you don't realize you're dead with Christ, then how are you going to live as his as he was resurrected? And so you have to acknowledge that on that cross, when he died, you died with him. That when he died, anything that in you that was sinful is gone. And actually, until you do that, until you get like get buried, until you baptize that to death, you can't then raise up with him in newness of life. And this new life, this new life has nothing of the old life in it. It's completely new creation. It's completely untouched. It's completely um, perfect. It's whole. It's, it's, it's righteous. Um, and so it's really important. And so if, if you read on it, it says then, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, so don't present your arms and your legs, um, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members, your, your arms, your legs, whatever it is, to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. And then he goes on and he starts talking about how we're slaves to righteousness. Like, you know, we don't even have a choice anymore. Like, in fact, let's just read that. Um, what then are we to sin? So he get, again, asking another question. He's thinking, oh, no, the Jews are probably questioning even more. He's like, what then are we to sin because we're no longer under the law, but under grace? He's like, no, no, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? He's like, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching with which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having become Slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human, human terms because of your natural limitations. So he's saying, you're not really slaves. He's like, I'm just giving you a context of like, you're, you're enslaved to righteousness. You don't have a choice. You're just, that's who you are now. Um, For you, as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now you present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And seeing, so you thought you were free before. That was freedom. I can do whatever I want. It's all good. And he's like, but all it did was lead to crap. 
you were sinning, you were having pain, you were struggling, you were far from God, you felt far from God. He's like, so don't think of slavery as a bad thing. He's like, but it's just, it's just a metaphor. He's saying that you have tied yourself to this new identity. I am righteous. And as you tie yourself to that, you produce righteousness. You produce good fruit. Um, it's almost uh, as though the, um, you imagine you just throw a log in a river. What way is it going to go? The way that the river's going, right? And he's, he's, he's basically almost just saying, look, you throw yourself in the river and the direction of the river is determining where it was. And it used to flow a bad way. And he's like, and all that's happened is the river's changed direction. It flows good. So actually, it's a, it's a peaceful, it's a restful thing. You know, so before, um, you, would throw, you, you, would, you would put yourself into a situation, but you'd have to try and be good. You'd have to really force it. You know, I've got to try and do the best person I can be. And, and how do I do this situation? Oh, I really need to try and do that or this. And, and it was hard. And you'd still end up screwing up half the time. But now he's saying, actually, it's a restful thing. In the same way, if you didn't do anything before, you'd end up screwing up or you'd end up your bad side of it would come out or whatever. Now, if you do nothing, it's always going to lead to good. It's, it's, it's a restful thing. It, you at your default produces good, it produces love, it produces joy, it produces peace, it produces kindness. Um, and so there's this beauty of being in slavery to righteousness. There's this beauty of the old person dying and you being brought to this newness of life. There's the words um, in, uh, in the Greek, uh, there's two words for new. There's neos and kainos. And, uh, and I love that. You know, Paul says that I no longer consider any person according to the flesh because everyone has been made a new creation. There's this new creation that's happened. And he's not talking about Christians here. He's talking about humans, mankind. He says, I no longer see anybody according to the flesh, according to the old self. I see them as kainos creations. And when you look at those two words in the Greek, neos means new in time. So if I have shoes and I think, ah, they're falling apart, I need some new shoes. If I said neos shoes, I go to the shoe store and buy exactly the same shoes. So they'd be new, but it'd be the same, you know? Um, but if I said kainos, if I was like, I want some new shoes and I got kainos shoes, I would get completely different. Maybe I'd go to like a designer store and get the nicest shoes, it'd be amazing, you know, it'd be just completely different. Or, you know, if I, if I had a car and I had a Ford Focus and I said, I want a Neos car, I'd go buy a 2016 Ford Focus. But if I said I want a kainos car, completely new, completely different. And the thing is, this kainos word, it means having never before existed. It's new in a pretty amazing sense. So it would almost be like, right, I've got a Ford Focus 2002. I want a kainos car. I get rid of that car and I'd end up with like the 2017 prototype from like Austin Martin or something. I mean, it was, it's an amazing thing that doesn't even exist anymore. And, and this is what Paul's talking about. He says, you've become this new creation. He says, you become a kainos creation. You, you are something that has never before even existed and you're pretty damn perfect. It's amazing. Um, and so this is what Paul's been developing in Romans and this is what he wants the Jews to see because he's, he's wanting them to see so that they can look at others and see, wow, they are God's precious child as well and they are free, they are saved. But he also wants them to see it because you can't live doing both. You can't live trying to do your best according to the rules and being freely righteous as a gift. It's one or the other. And it's so hard for the Jews to move from one to the other because they've lived their entire lives, their entire religion, their entire structure is built around we do the right thing to get right. And we don't do the wrong things or we'll be bad. And he needs to completely devolve that and dismantle that. And so this is why he challenges what faith means. This is why he challenges what your, your 
history, your patriar patriarchy is, are you Abraham's kids because you were born in Abraham's family? Or are you Abraham's kids because you believe like Abraham? This is why he challenges what is sin. Is it something you do or is it something that is a condition that's within? And so um, we can see he's just continually unraveling this more and more and more. And, it, and it's exciting because it has huge ramifications for us. Because the truth is we have a lot of these baggages as well. We think of sin oftentimes as, oh, I've screwed up and I did this and I did this and I did this. And it's very easy for us to let what we do affect who we are when actually we're supposed to be fixating on who am I, what are we, and allowing that to affect what we do. And so when I screw up, I don't go, oh, I'm a filthy rotten sinner. I go, that's not who I am. And I fixate on who I am and, it, and I allow that to change what I do. I allow it to feed in and impact what I do. Um, trying to think of how to manage the time you know a good example of this um, it, this doesn't mean that we don't grow it doesn't mean that we don't um, have a, a better looking life because you know all of us know to some degree or another we still screw up you know you can be the righteous of God but it doesn't mean that uh, your life looks perfect in every single way right I mean I still mess up I still drop the ball and um, and, and I've got a friend uh, you'll you'll meet him actually he's coming in January John Crowder and he has a great analogy it's a bit weird but it's a good analogy and um, in English we talk about peeling back layers of the onion uh, and has different connotations in different ways but he talks about it's almost as though you had this old creation and it was like this this onion okay so it's like this big onion and you would look at it and you'd be like oh man look at this it's filthy it's rotten there's sin there's this there's that and you'd look at it and and we'd try and mature by cleaning ourselves up, wouldn't we? We'd be like, oh, I've got, um, I've got anger problems, Ugh, oh, anger. And so I would look down and, and I'd imagine you're just this big onion and you go, right, I need to peel back this anger and you'd peel back the layer of the anger and you uh, you'd get rid of the anger. And, oh, you'd be like, oh, I feel so much better. I'm not, not angry anymore. And you look down and go, oh, lust. I knew I'd have to deal with that. And so you start working on your lust issues and maybe you get another five guys from the church to also struggle with lust and they deal with the lusting. You know, and eventually you deal with your lust and you get rid of it. And it's okay, good. Oh, jealousy. Oh, it's so unfair. Chris doesn't have jealousy. And so then you start dealing with your, that was a good joke, but um, you know, you start dealing with your jealousy and you work on that and then, oh, more anger, right? And so you start to deal with your anger. And what's the problem with just peeling back layers of uh, onion that's rotten? I mean, when we work on the old self, what's the problem? We're just cleaning it up, cleaning it up, cleaning it up, is that the thing is rotten to the core. Like, it's not like we're going to find a cluster of grapes in the middle. Do you know what I mean? It's just, we're just working on cleaning up this old self that was killed, that was crucified, that was buried. So actually what we do is we dig it up, that Jesus killed it and crucified it and buried it. We dig it up and try and resurrect this old man that was killed and live in that life. When actually the truth is, it was killed, it was crucified, it was buried, and a new creation occurred. And so there was this new um, onion, so to speak, okay? So work with the weird analogy of being an onion, okay? Um, but now we get this opportunity, and, and there's still a process, there's still a journey. So it's not that we work on our sin, but actually now the journey is we get the privilege of discovering our righteousness. So instead of being this sinful thing that has to try and clean up its sin, now we are a righteous being that gets to discover just how righteous we are. And so you look at yourself and you go, wow, the fullness of Christ. What's in here? As you start peeling back the layers and you go, wow, 
I've got healing virtue. I can heal the sick. That's amazing. And you peel back the lid and go, oh, peace that passes all understanding. I needed that. That's good. And you peel back some more and you go, wow, fullness of joy. And, and it's a process of jur- discovering just who am I? And so um, spiritual maturity isn't working on your sin. It's discovering your righteousness. And that is the, the, the joy and the excitement and the journey that we get to go on is that we're not cleaning ourselves up. We're discovering just how clean we are. Um, and it's not a, a process of, of eradicating this filthy, rotten, sinful self, but instead discovering this incredible, pure, righteous self. You know, we talked about who am I? We talked about in the beginning, what did God create? Who are we made to be? It's about discovering that. It's about discovering who we were made to be. Um, and it's exciting. It's supposed to be an exciting journey, spiritual maturity, not one that you uh, you beat yourself up. And, you know, we see certain, uh, I, I've seen like um, sects of Christianity that literally whip themselves, that beat themselves up. You know, that, and I don't know if you've seen that before, but there's all sorts of different things. There's, um, there's one uh, group of Christians, I think it's in, uh, I think it's in. Malaysia, it might be Indonesia, and they literally they have a parade once a year where they walk through the streets and um, they actually flail themselves and each other and they literally have these massive like um, whips and they flail and there's, there's f- literally their flesh is exposed, they're whipping themselves so hard and actually if you're lucky enough you get to be the, 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 the person and there's one person each year that gets to be crucified. And they literally hang themselves from a cross and get paraded through the thing and at the end they come down off their cross and, and you're like well, that's an interesting way to grow in maturity. But this is a, this is a, a real way of looking at spiritual maturity. You know, this is a, a, a significant uh, portion of Christianity on a, on a very subtle level does this. You know, so they're not literally whipping themselves maybe, but they are beating themselves up. They are sitting there at night at the end of the day and thinking, I suck, how crap am I? And, oh man. And you're almost punishing yourself as well. Have you ever done that? I've done that. Okay, you ever punished yourself because you did something sinful and you're like, well, I, I don't deserve that. I'm not going to do that or I'm not going to do this. And I, I should just be, feel more miserable because then I'll, I'll be paying my penance and God will be more pleased with me because yeah. I did, I, I beat myself up a bit. And, and so we're not whipping ourselves, we're not crucifying ourselves, but we're saying, well, I, I'm not going to, I don't know, go out with my friends or um, buy that thing I wanted or whatever it is. Um, exactly I mean whatever it is it's just crazy um, but, but we do this and actually the journey of, of, of maturation of, of becoming mature is exciting it's, it's, it's fun it's a, it's, it's a process of discovering who God has made us to be it's, it's, it's the, the greatest joy ever it's, it's, ah, it's just amazing um, and, and to, to rekindle that what you'll find is that you will never see so much righteous fruit in all your life. Um, you will never see it. You know, Jesus talks about, I am the vine, you are the branch. If you remain in me, you'll produce good fruit. The Christian life is resting, knowing that I'm attached to the vine. And actually, branches don't produce fruit. They don't. If you get a branch and you put it on the floor, if I brought a stick in tomorrow and said, there's a branch, what fruit do you think it will produce? Is it going to produce apples or oranges? You're going to go, neither. It's a branch. Right, branches don't produce fruit. The only way they produce fruit is if they're on the tree. And our job is simply to rest on the tree. It's actually the, the, the tree as a whole, it's the vine. It takes nutrients from the ground, it pushes it up and it pushes it through the branch and that produces fruit. And so it's a, it's a restful place of allowing God to produce fruit through you. We don't, do you know what's interesting is um, the, 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 the Bible never asks you to produce fruit. 
it tells you to bear fruit. And it's a very big difference. Producing fruit is hard work. I have to produce fruit. I've got to make fruit. But actually, branches don't produce fruit. They bear fruit. It comes off them, exactly. So that's absolutely, you want to be there. Like if, if you don't have a branch, the tree isn't going to produce fruit very well. Um, but it, the branch itself simply bears the fruit. Um, and so it's, it's a restful thing, but it's an exciting thing. It's a journeying. It's, it's a connecting. And we grow again. It's not to say we don't grow. It's not to say it's not mature, maturing. You know, if you look at a tree and you look at the different branches, you can tell which branches have been there the longest, right? Which ones? The thicker ones. The ones that, but we don't grow closer to God. You don't go, look at that branch, it's so close to the trunk. Because they're all in the trunk. Um, but actually, the longer they stay in the trunk, the more they grow. They get thicker and they start to be able to produce more fruit. Yeah? You can produce more fruit the thicker you are, the more firmly rooted to the, to the, the trunk you are. And so it's this process of just abiding, of resting, of staying in Him, trusting who I am. I am the righteousness of Christ. I'm no longer this sinful, rotten thing that I used to believe I was or see myself as, but actually I'm going to see myself as his good pleasure, his delight, his image and likeness, this, this thing that is truly the image of Jesus that looks like Jesus. Um, as we do that, we'll see this good fruit produced naturally because we're not doing the producing. He is. You know, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of Phil. It's the fruit of the Spirit. I can produce love, joy, peace, patience, kind. But my love, joy, peace, all that good stuff, that runs out pretty quickly if it's my fruit. Yeah? I mean, let's be honest. If we, we've all, you know, which would you prefer? Your partner's love or God's love? Which is better, you know? God's love every time. And so how about we just rest and we allow the fruit of the Spirit rather than the fruit of us? And I think that's so simple because... Uh, for years, I would fixate on the fruit of the Spirit and go, oh, that one, I really need to work on that because I'm not very good at that. And I'd work on being better at loving or better at patience or better at kindness. And it's like, it's crazy because it's Him that produces these things. And actually, it's about me letting Him produce those things in me. Thank you for listening to the Our Destiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk. 